This is Michael Easley in Context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Welcome to the broadcast. It's a privilege to have David and Nancy Guthrie in studio. David and Nancy's story is one that's going to be challenging and encouraging uh, hard at times, but it's going to end with great hope. And this is such a wonderful interview, we're going to bring it to you in three installments. The Apostle Paul writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Paul talks about affliction and persecution and being struck down, unlike any of our other New Testament writers, and it shows a bit of his life, of the trials that he faced, of the problems, of the beatings he endured. We're in studio today with Nancy and David Guthrie. They have quite the story to tell. Why don't we start talking about when you guys met, where you guys met, how you got married, the fun parts. (laughs) Uh, Sure, we're happy to talk about that. And great to be with you, Michael. Um, Nancy was working at Word Publishing in Waco, Texas, many years ago, right out of college. And I got a job with the music part of that company, Word Music, and moved from Portland, Oregon to Waco, Texas. And that was a big culture Amazing. shock, as you can imagine. Uh, everything was different. But one of the, the best parts of that move was that as soon as I got to work, two doors down the hall was this cute little uh, publicist in the book mm-hmm. publishing company called uh, Nancy Jinx at that time. And uh, we met there, so we had a bit of an office romance. We also went to church together. What year was that? Uh, it was a long time ago. That 1985. was 1985. Yeah, we got married a year from the day we met, October wow. 18th, 1986. You're young pups. <laughs> you're young pups. She's, she's younger than I am. <laughs> so 86, you get married. You're still working in Waco. And that lasts for how long before you moved? Yeah, two or three years. And then uh, the company moved us to Dallas, where we were for five years. And then we've been here in Nashville for 20 years, so we love it. Please don't ever make us move. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) this is our sixth or seventh move, and we feel the same way. So so you're married, happily married, have a good job. You have a good relocation to Dallas. You start having children. Our son, Matt, is now 24, so he was born in those Dallas years. So he was three when we moved here to Nashville. All right. And so... Take up the story from there. Yeah. When, uh, when Matt, our son, was born, uh, Nancy left her work at the company and started working from home so that she could be with Matt. And um, I, I'll say this, but it's only because I hear her say it. She felt like, uh, wow, how do people have more than one child? Because one seems like such a challenge to parent. And, um, but I, I am a little bit older. I was 30 when we got married. So um, after several years, uh, when we were here in Nashville, we began to say, well, if we're going to have a larger family, uh, this would be the time. Start we better, working better on get that. on with it. Mm-hmm. And um, when Matt was eight years old, um, Nancy went to the hospital and gave birth to a daughter who we named Hope. 
not necessarily thinking that name would have a you know any particular significance other than we liked the name always had and uh, we certainly were uh, interested in the idea of biblical hope and what that means but we we discovered right away that that name would have great significance Um, when hope was born it was immediately obvious everything wasn't quite right she had club feet she was very lethargic. She wasn't moving much. She wasn't holding her temperature. Um, what our pediatrician called a number of little things that quite often add up to something bigger. Interesting. And so he wanted to have a geneticist from Vanderbilt Medical Center come and examine her her second day, which he did. And he came to our hospital room that second day of Hope's life and told us that he suspected Hope had a rare metabolic disorder called Zellweger syndrome. Okay. We'd never heard of that, and you probably haven't either. Most of your listeners probably you know, it's haven't. It's interesting when, when you encounter something, and I've had you know, my issues, we all have them, and you know nothing about them, and within a very yeah. short time, you become somewhat of an expert of yes. this new word, this new language. Well, well what it meant uh, for someone who's not an expert right. <laughs> is basically Hope was missing a little subcellular particle called peroxisomes, and our peroxisomes, which you and I have in every cell, are kind of like the cell's trash man. Mm. And they have one kind of trash they're responsible for taking out. That's not the actual medical explanation. (laughs) The mumbo-jumbo part, yeah, it helps. And uh, so what that meant for Hope's cells was there's nobody to take out the trash. And so these long-chain fatty acids would build up in her cells and therefore in her systems and become toxic. And so on that second day, the geneticist told us that, in fact, a lot of damage had already been done to all of Hope's major organs, especially her liver and her kidneys and her brain. And he told us that there was no treatment and that most children with the syndrome live less than six months. And he handed us two sheets of paper Xeroxed out of a medical textbook that described everything that was likely wrong in Hope's body and everything that would go wrong leading to her death. And a number of post-mortem photographs of babies with the syndrome. And he left the room. And David crawled up into the bed with me and we cried. And, And we cried out to God probably the most unceremonious prayer we'd ever prayed, which was just, God help us. And... I remember that we expressed to God that we wanted to trust him with it. But of course, so early on that journey, we hardly even had a sense of what that would mean for us. So what year is this? Hope was born. She was born in 1998. 98. David, you're hearing this information. You're the husband, the the doting husband, Mm -hmm. the encouraging husband. Uh, What goes through your head and heart when you hear these new words? Yeah, well, the first day, those first two days in the hospital were uh, surreal. Um, You know, most people say we went to the hospital expecting to have a perfectly healthy baby and were shocked. And and that's true in one way. I'll confess that um, in another way for me, I'm a bit of a pessimist by nature a glass half empty type guy. And um, so the idea of something going wrong is never real far from my mind through an experience like that. But still, um, that first day, I remember just a, uh, a growing, sinking feeling developing because uh, uh, from the time that the baby was delivered, 
I felt like I saw a little look uh, in, in the eyes of the obstetrician and the nurse going back and forth mm-hmm. soon as uh, hope came something's out, right. like something's not right. And I said, well, okay, we're going to be uh, – okay, she does have club feet, but we can fix that. Don't worry about that, uh, you know. And so uh, Hope went to the nursery with seemed like many, many babies being born that day at Baptist Hospital in Nashville. And, uh, you know, you stand by the glass windows there looking in at the newborns and and they kind of bring them through and do their testing and um, and cleaning and prepping and wrapping them up and putting them in the little uh, beds. But Hope stayed on that little warming area for much of the day. And so friends were coming to the hospital and family and celebrating with us. And yet I couldn't quite, you know, cut loose and enjoy the whole thing because I sense something's not quite right here. We just don't know yet what it is. Nancy, did you have any, um, during your pregnancy, anything in your head? You know, I didn't. I look back and I realize I probably should have when I compare that pregnancy, particularly in terms of movement to my previous pregnancy with our healthy son, Matt. Mm -hmm. You know, I just remember, you know, that weird feeling, you may remember this with your wife, when you see them kicking out of your stomach and you're feeling all this stuff. And while I felt a little bit, I just, I didn't have that level, but it just never crossed my Mm -hmm. mind that something might be wrong. And of course, then afterward, I realized, wow, that was different. So uh, this is the second day in the hospital. So take us us forward. Mm -hmm. Well, as Nancy described, when the geneticist and a few other doctors came into our room with long faces, uh, we thought, okay, this is, this is it. <laughs> so we're going to find out something. And at that point, you know, you realize um, how fraught the whole experience is. When, when we welcome a new child into our family, um, we're not thinking only of that little baby, but we're looking ahead as much as we can to this lifetime uh, together of a, of a child who will grow. And, and um, we all have somewhat of an idealized image in our minds of what that is. But uh, I think Nancy and I immediately were having to grapple with uh, uh, Hope's life is probably going to be different, but we not like what we intended or expected, and yet we don't know what it is. And so um, outside the room were lots of our family because we just, you know they they had to go outside of the room while these doctors came and then when they delivered the news that Nancy described earlier um, they also said now we'll be confirming this with some tests and we'll send them off to Johns Hopkins and it will take um, a week or two maybe because it was uh, right during the Thanksgiving holidays and and so uh, the door closed as Nancy said I got in bed with her we cried we prayed and then we had to quickly decide what will we tell people? You know, what will we tell our family? Um, they're gathered outside, uh, but we don't have confirmation yet from these tests, and perhaps we shouldn't unload what's been told to us yet. And and therefore, you know, those next few days were, um, in addition to the shock, and 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 having to stay in the hospital and learn how to care for our baby now with this condition, the syndrome. Um, we were also experiencing a, a lot of loneliness, really, because we had this devastating news that, that um, ultimately we wanted and needed to share with others right. so they could help us bear that burden to some degree, but we couldn't tell them yet. We decided not to. So the door swung open, 
we brought them back in. We smiled. Wow. They uh, they looked to us to see, okay, what did the doctors say? And um, the extent of what we told them at that time was just, well, there uh, there are some problems, and um, they don't really know for sure yet, and so there's going to be more testing. And that was a hard, you know, that was just one of the many little um, challenges added on top of other challenges when you get this devastating news, as so many people have, you know, sure. and, and even people li- listening to us today probably have just gotten the most devastating news they could imagine. Yeah, I often say the only time we have faith is in between. When mm. things are going well, when I have a good job, I've got money in the bank, my health is okay, my kids are okay, life's good. I really don't have, quote, faith, close quote. The only time I really, the props are knocked out or where you guys are sitting in 1998 in the hospital room going, what in the world is going to happen? Well, that so. next morning, um, our, our um, pastor came to see us, and I expressed to him that the very idea. I remember saying to him, you know what, Charles, I think here is where the rubber is going to hit the road in my life, and I'm going to find out if I really believe all that I've said I believe my whole life. Mm-hmm. And that was really the case, you know? Um, not that we questioned God, right. but there was a sense in which everything was questioned, if that makes sense. Um, you know, all of our assumptions about how this life with God works, and, you know, if I've been good, and if he's a good God, right and he's going to give me a good, surely he's going to give me a good life, and is this the good life? So what defines a good life? So. You know, all of those things were, in a sense, began to be examined, you know, but, you know, that first week was a week of uh, disappointment. You know, I remember they, it was going to take a while to do the testing, but they were doing individual tests to see if she was experiencing the impact of this. And so I just, I remember one of the lowest moments for me being when I was holding her in the NICU and the nurse told me that they had the results of the hearing test and that she couldn't hear. And I just remember saying to you, you mean she is never going to hear me? And that seemed like an incredible loss to me. I remember um, wanting to talk to someone who had lost a child to ask them, what do you say when someone asks you how many children do you have? I mean, because I was immediately thinking toward, what's it going to be like to have my child die? Likely in our home, you know, and we talked to someone about that. But the other thing I figured out during that week there, Michael, was that, okay, Hope's life is not going to be measured in years. It's going to be likely measured in weeks and months. And I don't want to spend her life mourning her coming death and thereby miss her life. And so since she's not going to have a first birthday, we're going to celebrate every month. We're going to have a birthday party every month. So that we can, and and we're going to do the best we can to enjoy her life, the number of days that God gives us, not knowing how many days that would be. 16 years now, and you still talk about this, both of you fighting back tears. So the parents out there, and you've had them, I bet, who came and told you, if only you believed, if you'd have done this, if you'd have done that. The, the well-intentioned, obdurate uh, believers who say stupid things, um, a loss is a loss, and it never goes away, but it changes. How? 
yeah, thankfully, <laughs> by uh, the mercy of God, I think it does change its its um, its weight and its devastating moment by moment impact lessons over time as we allow uh, healing, you know, in our life for um, for that loss. But it now is a part of who we are. Right. Yeah, and all not only all the memories, but all that has. Uh, come about uh, as on the heels of and as a result of of that experience. You know, much of what we do now has some relationship to um, dealing with people who have lost loved ones. And so that, I mean, I, we couldn't have imagined being in that place, being equipped or uh, feeling called to that kind of a role in the lives of others. But it's just natural now because we've experienced that others uh, find a connection with us and, and, and therefore want to hear, how did you do this? We'll tell you more about this later in the broadcast, but you guys have a ministry called Respite Retreats for Couples Who've mm-hmm. Lost Children. And as you work your way to nancyguthrie.com, you'll find the 12 books she has authored. Uh, three in particular we're talking about in these two broadcasts, 2002, Holding On to Hope, A Pathway of Suffering to the Heart of God. And then 2005, she produced the one-year Book of Hope, also by Tyndale. And then later, 2007, Hoping for Something Better refusing to settle for life as usual. You're holding hope, the days and and weeks and maybe month celebrations. Yeah. You know, one day I remember in particular during that journey, Michael was, I was up in Hope's nursery. She never really spent the night in her nursery because she was in a bassinet by our bed her whole life. But I was there um, in the rocking chair and I remember thinking to myself, okay, God... We've been willing to accept that Hope's life is going to be short. But how about, I'm going to pray that you will extend her life as long as possible. And it was like I, the, the thoughts about how to pray this way began to take shape in my mind. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. Why do I want to ask God to extend her life as long as possible? Why do I think I know that a longer life would be better for her? or for me. So I guess this is one of the places where faith became real to us. Do I trust God that he will give her the length of life that he intends for her and that it will be good and right for her and good and right for me? It won't necessarily feel like enough Not for me. Want. Yeah. You know, hope was with us for 199 days. Wow. And I have to tell you, it's not enough in my accounting. And so many times I have longed for more. But faith for me has not been defined by trying to manipulate God to get what I want, the length of life, the quality of life, the makeup of our family, the way I think would be good and best, but by simply trusting that he's not out to hurt me. He is bending all things toward my good and his glory. And that might not always look like I think it ought to look. Did you ask God why? I think everybody who goes through any kind of loss or struggle asks the question why. I think we were helped during this time. David read one of Philip Yancey's books where he made the suggestion to change the question why in terms of what caused this 
to, and he says it, to what end, or we would say, for what purpose? And so I think we went through this experience and came out of it with a desire to find God's purpose in it. What is it you want to do in us and through us that would require this kind of loss? And how can we be a part of what you want to do that we do believe is good rather than uh, feel like we're victims or rather than simmer in a sense of tragedy? But I would also say that that question why was very significant in our lives because it did drive us to the Bible to get an answer. I mean, I think so many people run to all different sources to try to get an answer to why. They look in, they look out. And that search has sent us to the Bible. And it did something in me that has been very significant for all of the years since then, which is to come to a, a deeper understanding of, of Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look for all of these very personal, individualistic answers to the question why. And here's the reason why, that the curse has so infiltrated this world that it has impacted all of creation. It has infiltrated even our genetic code mm-hmm. so that our genes don't work yeah. right. Well, and that's why we sing with such great joy. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. That's what real hope is, right? Hope isn't that I'm going to get in this present life everything I want my life to be. Instead, hope is that Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he will make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. There will be no more death and there will be no more curse. And so that's how that going to the Bible with that question of why, to come to Genesis 3 and to grow in a, in a sense of our understanding of God's purposes that he is working out in the world that we get ushered into instead of trying to bend it to be all about me in the here and now. Instead, it's helped me to see how we're a part of what God is doing in the world and that the day is coming when the curse will be gone for good. We are fallen creatures and we live in a fallen context. And that's what you've articulated beautifully in, in Genesis 3. But boy, do we try to make earth heaven. If we live right, do right, act right, read the Bible, go to church, fellowship with Christians, we have this expectation God should bless us. We don't talk about it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. We feel incredibly blessed. Yeah. yeah. You know, another thing this experience did, it helped us to redefine what is God's blessing. And it seems to me in the scripture, what is blessing is always getting more of God and his goodness. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that's what we've experienced. Unexpected blessings through this experience. And, you know, I think I always believed in my own experience kind of taught me that if I was joyful, it was because great things were happening and I was happy and I was experiencing God's joy. If uh, sorrow came, you know, that would take me out of joy. I never realized that joy and sorrow could coexist in this way. Because as, as Nancy said, we every moment we were awake during Hope's life, we were aware that this could be her, her last day. These could be her last moments, in fact. That is sorrowful because we, uh, even while she was alive, we were beginning to mourn her death. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the same time we were determined to uh, soak up every moment of joy and she uh, believe it or not she brought us a ton of joy you know I don't know how we could be happier to 
have uh, been her parents. You know, mm-hmm. we uh, we loved her. Uh, other people loved her, and uh, our our joy was. Uh, was full, and we tried to grab as much of it as we could and taste as much of it as we could. You know, there are going to be a lot of why questions in life that we are never going to have the answer to. A part of the faith journey is trusting Christ and Christ alone. It's trusting him when we cannot see the future. It's trusting in the uncertain outcomes. Whenever I quote the Hebrews' great faith passage, I will physically take my hand and I I read it. Uh, The faith is confident assurance of things hoped for, And then I put my hand over my eyes and finish, and the conviction of things not yet seen. Uh, Faith is not just a point in time when we trust Christ and Christ alone. It's being faithful. It's trusting Christ at his word. It's trusting Christ when our circumstances tell us otherwise. It's trusting Christ when the world doesn't make sense. Well, we want you to join us next time for the second part of our broadcast with David and Nancy Guthrie. Until then, this is Michael Easley in context.